to the Smart Connector podcast, which looks at the power of connection in business and life. Featuring solo episodes as well as a range of exciting interviews with entrepreneurs across multiple sectors, we offer tips and advice to build your impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons, and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast. My name is Jane Baylor, and as ever, I have a really amazing guest for you today. It's Oakland McCulloch. Welcome, Oakland. Well, thank you, Jane. I'm excited to be on your show. Yeah, me too. I've really been looking forward to this interview. Now, Oakland is a very, very interesting person. He has over 40 years of leadership experience, 23 of them in the US military. So he's an author and a speaker. He's from Daytona Beach in Florida. And his book is called Your Leadership Legacy, Becoming the Leader You Were Meant to Be. So he speaks all over the place and to lots of different types of businesses and companies. But recently, he's been talking a lot to first responders who are police, firemen, EMTs, they're emergency medical technicians, which we call paramedics here in the UK. And he served in the Gulf War in Bosnia and Kosovo. He's served in two hurricane missions, which is really interesting. We'll talk about that as well. And lived in Germany and Australia as well as in the US. So it's really, really great to have you here, Oakland, and talk about this all-important topic that I love of leadership. Oh, absolutely. It's so important. It's a very important topic in every organization and at every level. Definitely. So let's just start at the beginning, Oakland. How did you end up in the military? Yeah, so that, that's an interesting story. I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do in high school. And then about sophomore, junior year, I kind of decided that I wanted to be an officer in the Army. I, I was captain of my sports teams. I was student, student government president. I was class president. So leadership was nothing new to me. I'd been in leadership positions at a very low level, obviously, at those things. But I, I kind of liked being a leader and helping other people. And that's really my ver version of leadership is servant leadership. And I, I loved doing that. And so I decided I wanted to be an officer in the Army and went to the United States Military Academy for a couple of years, kind of like Sandhurst there in the UK, mm. and didn't graduate from West Point. I came home helped my father run his business for about 18 months. And then I finished up in ROTC, which is a, an American, one of the American ways to become an officer, which worked out great for me. I met my wife that we've been married here two weeks. It'll be 36 years. So oh, she, was in, she was in ROTC as well. She was an army nurse for eight years. Well, that's amazing. Were you always passionate about the topic of leadership? You said, obviously, a bit, bit like me, I was I was head girl. I was always like the one in charge because I like to help other people. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned servant leadership. A lot of people, I think, who don't really know that much about leadership, they think, well, it's basically about bossing people around yes. and getting your own way. And, of course, well, I suppose there is that aspect to it, but it's about a lot more, isn't it? 
It is. And, you know, a lot of people have the misconception as well is that the military is all about authoritarian, authoritarian micromanaging leadership. And believe me, they're in there and I've worked for them and we all hate working for people like that. But I think you, you'd be shocked and surprised at how many people in the in the military really are servant leaders. They're in it not for themselves. They're there to serve and to help people become the best people they can be by empowering them and improving their organization. And that's really what it's all about is, and that's your legacy really is the organization and the people that you have trained and leave behind. Yes. And when you think about it, you know, the military is not a business. People go into the military because they want to defend their country. They want to help people because at its heart, that's what it's all about, right? Oh, leadership is all about people. And any yeah. any leader who doesn't understand that's never going to be a good leader. Yep. So what kind of training did they give you in the military? Because it's well known that the military leadership training has to be really good because when you're in combat, you can't have everybody confused and running about in different directions because it's going to result in the loss of life, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, U.S. Army historically has done a very good job of training its leaders. And, you know, and that's my day job. I'm in, I am do the recruiting for an Army ROTC program where we are training and commissioning the next generation of leaders. And, and so from the very beginning, you, you come through ROTC or West Point or however you got your commission, a good portion of that is all about leadership. And you learn all the theories and all that, which are important, but that's not what makes you a leader. And then you actually get some hands-on leadership experience in those schools and in those organizations to teach you how to be a leader. Because I can, we can sit here and talk about leadership all we want. We can bring all the leadership experts in here and talk about it. That doesn't make you a leader. You got to go out there and actually put all that stuff to use and practice it and make mistakes and learn from them. And that's how you learn to be a leader. And we do a very good job of that. And every time you get promoted in the American Army, we send you back to school and we teach you that next level of leadership that you're going to need to know and what you need to know to be successful at that level. And so I think that's one of the things that's important. And I always tell people because you know, in times of hard times, like we're having right now economically, a lot of companies think that that's the first thing that they cut is their training. And I always tell people that's the last thing you want to cut. You got to train people constantly. And at every level that they move to, you got to get them ready to to lead at that level. And and it doesn't ha- just happen. It, it You have to spend the time and the effort and the money and the resources to make that happen. Yes, I think that's a really, really good point because, you know, people, they either regress or they progress. And if they regress, it's because they are not getting that input really, isn't it? Whether, I mean, obviously I'm an entrepreneur, so I have to invest in myself. But if you're in an organization, the organization has to invest in, you know, the, the leadership and the communication skills of the people that are in it, don't they? Because otherwise, it's bad things are going to happen, right? Absolutely. It's kind of like culture. You know, I I, yeah. I I believe culture and leadership are tied together. That's one of the most mm-hmm. important things a leader has to do is develop the culture of that organization. And I was talking to a young man 
30 something years old. That's young for me. He's 30 something years old. I was talking to him about, I don't know, about six months ago, and he just started his own business. And I was talking to him about developing his culture and how it was going to take time and effort and resources and money and training. And he said, Colonel McCullough, you're wrong. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, you're wrong. All I got to do is hire the right people. I said, good luck with that young man. Tell me how that works out for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a kind of hopeful thought, yeah. really, isn't it? <laughs> because it's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like when people say, you know, I'm looking to fall in love and they go out and they meet somebody a couple of times and it's like, yes, I'm in love. I'm in love. Well, OK, you might like the look of that person and have had a good time when you're together. But, you know, it's not the same as creating a sustainable connection over time. That's right. And yeah, I'm, I think that that is really, in a way, what leadership is about, isn't it? It's about those threads between people, isn't it? It is. And, it, it, you know, and I always tell people, if you want to lead, the first thing you got to understand, is, again, it's about people and you got to get to know your people. The advice I give all these young men and women that we commission and are going out there to be leaders, one of the things I tell them is every day, go out and find one new thing about one person in your organization. Go find one person and find out one brand new thing every day. Not about work, about their personal life. What's their spouse's name? What's their kids' names? How many kids do they have? What, are the, what sports do their kids play? What habits do they have? What hobbies do they have? Find one thing new about each one person each day, and you'll start building that trust. And trust is so huge in leadership. And you can't do that if you if you don't know the people. They they won't trust you. And if they don't trust you, they're not going to follow you. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And of course, people really appreciate somebody taking an interest in them, particularly if they're perceived to be higher status, because so many people in higher status positions, they play that power game, don't they? they do. Where I my agenda is important, that's the one that matters, and you are insignificant. Yeah, and that's that's horrible. I mean, it really yeah. And I tell people one of the ways to do this, to start building that trust, is and, and, I, and I didn't come up with this, a, a boss of mine, an old boss of mine who retired a three-star general, so obviously way smarter than me, he told me one day, he said, Oak, never turn down a chance to go get your own cup of coffee. He said, two things happen when you do that. Number one, you show everybody that you're no better than they are. You go get your own cup of coffee. Somebody doesn't have to bring it to you. And number two, on your way, and if you're lucky, you got two or three different ways to get to the coffee pot. On your way, you stop and talk to people, not where, not in your office, where they are. You stop and talk to them and, and just see how they're doing. Ask them questions. Listen to them. And there you go. There's a concept. Actually, listen to people. And, and you'll see that trust is built exponentially. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a very, it is such an interesting topic and I'm so glad that we're discussing it. But while you were talking, I was thinking it's often a lot easier for people to be nice to other people and to take an interest in their lives. I mean, certainly I, I, I'm by nature, let's just say a little bit of a people pleaser at times. <laughs> so I'm always somebody who will ask people, oh, how's your day and what's going on in your life and all of that kind of thing. And of course, it does endear you to other people. And it, it means that you can make friends very easily and you get people on your side. I think where people struggle sometimes 
time, if I may say so, is this thing around boundaries and firmness and actually um, standing up for what is right or what needs to be done. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle, don't they? To, to do that in a way that is not authoritarian or punishing or blaming or judgmental or all of those kind of negative emotions can, can come in the picture. So I'm really interested to hear your take on how people can really protect those boundaries. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I believe and, and I believe wholeheartedly that Number one, leaders have to do what's right, even if it isn't in your interest. And sometimes you make decisions. You have to make decisions that are the right decision that don't yeah. benefit you. And but yeah. you still have to do it. Uh, and you you do the right thing because leaders do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, not because yeah. anybody's watching or because somebody's going to see it. Although they are, believe. Yeah. But, but you do it because it's the right thing. One of the ways that I believe that you 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 get around what you were just talking about is that when you're the leader and you have time and some, sometimes you don't have time, I got it. You got to make a snap decision and you do what you got to do. But when you have time, you include everybody in your organization, all the subordinate leaders in your organization. And I, the way I used to do it was if I had a mission or a job or a task or a problem that we had to solve, I'd call them together and I'd say, okay, here's what we got to do. Give me some ideas. And you get ideas from a bunch of different people. And one of the things I figured out is that that sometimes your superstars will give you horrible ideas. And that person that you thought was the weakest link in your organization will give you a great idea. And I had a boss one time who said, oh, a great idea is a great idea, whether it comes from a general or a private. And a bad idea is a bad idea, whether it comes from a general or a private. So if you throw it out there, they start giving you ideas. You're, you're not under any obligation to use any of their ideas, but at least you've asked for their opinions. But what I've generally found when I would do that is that I would take a little bit of your ideas and a little bit of somebody else's ideas and throw in some of my idea, and that would become our solution. Two things happen when you do that. Number one, you make them understand they're a valued member of the team because you're asking their opinion. And number two, when you use other people's ideas like that and include some of your own, it is no longer Colonel McCullough's idea or solution. It's our solution. Now they got skin in the game. Now they got a reason to be successful because they had some input in it. And you'll be surprised the amount of effort they will put into it when they have some input into it. Yeah. Oh, that's it's such an interesting topic. So, you know, my background, uh, Oakland, is media, international media and entertainment in London, primarily London-based. And, you know, London-based kind of creatives tend to be kind of quite autocratic in a way. They're quite, they really defend their own ideas because, you know, London is a hub of creative excellence worldwide. So that was the environment that I was brought up in. So it wasn't like a kind of corporate environment where everybody would, you know, steal other people's ideas and take the credit. I mean, all that kind of stuff going on. Well, that it's happens just, all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't really like that. What it what it was mostly is that people would have very strong and quite often opposing ideas that they would just defend to the hilt. 
And then I went to Sweden. I worked in Sweden for a year and it was completely the opposite where everybody in the company or on that particular project team, no matter how junior, had an equal vote because it was a very democratic organization. So let's say the marketing director had this great idea, said, this is what we're going to do. Said, OK, we'll put it to the vote. And then, you know, anybody who was you know, however junior they were, would have an equal say. And what it resulted in was some very lackluster communications, let, let's just say. So when it comes to kind of decision making, what, what would be your solution in either of those scenarios? Yeah, well, I believe that you involve as many people as you can. But once a decision is made, the decision's made. And at that point, we're doing what the decision's made, and I'm going to make sure that it's done. Because a leader has to have yeah. authority, has to have, because they're responsible. You know, and I always tell people, you can give away all the authority, yeah. but you can never give away responsibility. Your name yeah. is the one on the blame line. Yeah. So you're responsible for everything that does or doesn't happen in your organization. So you got to make sure that it is being successful and that you're accomplishing what you got to do. But I think the more people you involve in that decision making in the beginning, is better now at the end you make the decision doesn't matter what you know you don't have to use any of those ideas in the end you're the one that's going to make the decision and that's what we pay the leader for is yeah. to figure out what the good ideas are and what yeah. what is going to work and then to make it work and yeah. i think that, that's it but i think one of the things that that we got to remember is that even once you make that decision and you're the one in charge going to make it happen you still got to empower the people to make it happen because they're the yes. ones that are going to make it happen, not you. Yep. So you got to give them the resources. You got to give them the authority to make it happen. And then you got to get out of the way and let them do it because here's what happens when you do that. You, you are now using everybody's talents, skills, abilities, and knowledge, not just your own. And I don't care how long you've been a leader. You don't have all the answers. You don't have all the knowledge. I'm sorry. Yeah. If you think you do, go do something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, while you were saying that, I was just thinking, you know, in that kind of scenario where, you know, the creators would defend their ideas to the hilt and, you know, no, it was kind of a bit like scrapping playground scrapping or whatever it's like. Now, this is my idea and this is the one that's going to win and all the rest of it. You know, it really kind of does come down to, as you said, you, there's a lot of clarity there in terms of what you say. Look, in a way, whose neck is on the line? You know, who has to take ownership for that? Yeah. And so in a way, you know, it's it's very much, you know, a sort of strategic business issue as well, isn't it? It's just, OK, who's in charge? Whose neck's on the line? Who is, you know, has the ultimate responsibility for this? And they need to step up and take that responsibility and be allowed to carry that responsibility free from the influence of others if that's what they feel they need in order to get it through. Yeah, so I always tell people, this is what, this has always been my philosophy. If we accomplish something, if my group, whatever I, whoever I was in charge of, if, if we accomplish something, then I would go and go to my boss in public. So everybody, and I say, look, look what, my guys and gals just did. Yeah. And Jane, John, and Joe did a great job. Whoever did, you know, give them credit. Always give credit where credit's due. Mm. If we didn't accomplish what we were supposed to do, I went to my boss and I said, hey, boss, I messed up. And here's how we're going to fix it. 
because nobody's perfect. I keep trying to convince my wife that I am, but she's not buying it. Uh, <laughs> you think after 30, almost 36 years, I could convince her, but I can't. So, but, and I don't care if you made a mistake. What I care about is what did you do after we made the mistake or we didn't accomplish what we were supposed to accomplish? Did you try to hide it? Did you blame somebody else? Or did you come up to me and say, hey, boss, I messed up and here's how we're going to fix it. And I'd say, let's go fix it. I mean, because, you know, it does no good to to blame somebody because we're all going to make a mistake, every one of us. True, true. And often it's just... Uh you know, people that are trying to maybe force force decisions through or sort of cover up them, their own mistakes or take the credit from other people, those kind of toxic workplace behaviors. It really just comes from a lack of, of clarity and organizational structure and, and really the ability to actually empower others and behave in a the way that leadership leaders should behave, right? Yeah, and I think part of it comes from from pe leaders who who forget why they're leaders, and, uh, and and it's not it's not for them. It is a privilege to lead people and organizations, and I always remind people of that. It you know, it's not inherent that you're going to be the leader. It's a privilege that you get the chance to do that, yeah. and so you got to remember that in the end, it's about impact empowering the people in your organization to be the best they can be, which is going to make you successful. I mean, but then it's not a selfish reason. You're, you're trying to make them good and that's going to make your organization good. And that's what you got to remember that as a leader, that it's not about you. And in my book and in my presentation that I give about leadership, I talk about that, that it's not about you and it's all about you. It's not about you and the title you're going to get or the privileges you're going to get or the more pay you're going to get. Those are all nice, but that's not why you should be the leader. And if that's why you want to be the leader, then go do something else because you're never going to be a good one. It's all about you and how you treat your people and how you run your organization and how you create the next generation of leaders because you're not going to be the leader forever. Somebody's got to come up and take your place once you leave. So, and that's huge as a leader. You got to be a mentor, you got to be a coach, you got to develop that next generation of leaders. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So what I'd like to ask you about, and I'm really interested in this, Oakland, is, you know, your work with the first responders, which we talked about, you know, in, in the introduction. So policemen, firemen, emergency medical people, all of those people who are in often in very difficult, stressful situations that in a way, might reflect some of your time in the military. How how do you empower them in those um, in those difficult times to use their leadership skills? Yeah, so I, I always tell tell people that are going to be in those type of situations, the lieutenants that we commission here. When I talk to firemen, policemen, all those people, I, I say number one is you have to set the example and be calm, and and. People say, well, you, you can't, tr you, you train it. And the way you do that is through your training. If you train yourself well enough and you train your people well enough, then, then you can remain calm in those situations. Mm. Because if you panic, then they're going to panic. And that nothing good comes from that. You got to stay as calm as possible. You know, and, and I always t tell them in, in both, in the military and in first responders, 
that look, you know, you got to understand the nature of what you, the profession you are going into. You can make all the right decisions and you can do everything right. And somebody still might die. That's just the nature of our business. Not, ha not a good one, but it is the nature of those type of businesses or those type of services. So you got to understand that going in, which means that you need to make good decisions because if you make bad decisions, more people die. So you got to be trained and you got to make sure the people that are working for you are trained. And then you got to set the example by maintaining as much calmness as you can. Yes, yeah, indeed. I mean, we we are living in challenging times. You mentioned that earlier. Are you seeing that there is an increase in terms of, you know, stress and pressure in in those people who are on the front line of those kind of services at the moment? Oh, absolutely. And I, th I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing less and less people volunteering to do those, both the military. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, right now here in our country, we're, we've had a lot of difficulty getting people to enlist and, and even become officers in the army and, and policemen. I mean, droves of them retiring and not enough people choosing to do that profession to take their place. And I think that's all due to that stress that that uh, that they go through. Yeah. So, I mean, what can be done about that? I mean, I know this is obviously a really big issue, but it's an issue over here as well. I think the levels of morale are low in the police. Uh, a lot of people anecdotally are saying that, you know, not enough is being done to combat crime. And it's, of course, we've got all these challenging situations at the moment as we speak, particularly in the whole situation with Russia and what's kind of happening in that whole area. And so how can people kind of keep their head above water and actually maintain positive morale in those difficult circumstances or situations? Yeah, well, I think, I think part of it is we have to get back to teaching, coaching, mentoring, developing servant leaders, people who yeah. are in it for the right reason. Again, not because of a title, not because of the prestige, not because of pay or privileges or whatever, but because they want to serve. And yeah. people who want to serve will serve through those tough times because they understand what they're, what, why they're there. You know, yeah. my father-in-law never understood why I, for many years, couldn't understand why I wanted to do what I did. He said, you know, Oak, with with your skills and your dedication and your self-discipline and all those things, you could go out in the business world and make lots and lots of money. And I told him, I said, that's not what it's, that's not why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, I, I grew up, my father never finished the eighth grade. Mm. My mother never finished the 10th grade. Yet I got to do things and make decisions that nowhere else in the world do people get to make those decisions and get to do those things, become an officer in the army and, and, go to college and all that kind of stuff. So when I finally convinced him and made him understand, I said, look, I do what I do because I'm hoping that somebody else, somebody else's kids, my kids, your kids, somebody else's kids can have the same opportunities to make the same choices I made when I was growing up. And again, it goes back to servant leadership. Yeah. You got to be there for the right reason, not for you, but for that next generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that legacy, that purpose, I think it's all incredibly important. And I think without that, you're just like a rudderless ship, aren't you? 
Absolutely. You know, and I always tell people this and in my book, I use a quote that kind of kind of set the stage for the the, the book. And it, I can't take credit for the quote. It was a guy who worked for me and I say he worked for me. He was he was probably a better leader than I was. Master Sergeant David Powell. He was a great, great man. I still is. And I stay in touch with him. And one day we were talking about what we were doing, producing the next generation of leaders, not only for the army, but for the nation. And he looked at me and he said, you know, boss, great leadership handed down from generation to generation is what develops great nations. And I thought, wow, what a powerful quote. And But the most powerful part of that quote is you can take that word nations and you can substitute anything you want for it. You, company, organization, sports team, hospital, food bank, whatever, it doesn't matter because every organization needs great leadership. Mm, that's true. That's so true. So Oakland, you served in the in the first Gulf War, didn't you? I did. Uh, and Bosnia and Kosovo and so on. What did you learn about life when you were in those situations in those countries? Yeah. And Kosovo was probably the most interesting one because that's where I had the most interaction with, with the local people. And of mm. course, we went there thinking that we were protecting the Albanians from the, from the Serbs. And it really wasn't that at all. It was probably, oh, really? probably about half and half. And so one of the things that I, that I learned very quickly is that people in those situations hold grudges. You know, every time I held a meeting, if I, if I held a meeting with a group of Serbs, I heard everything that the Albanians had done to the Serbs for the last 5,000 years. And if I held one with the Albanians, I heard everything the Serbs had done to them for the last 5,000. And finally, wow. you know, after about the third or fourth meeting, I said, okay, look, stop. <laughs> I, I'm a history major. I know what happened here. I said, but that doesn't help us. We got to start from here and move forward. So, and, and, and I eventually got to where I was having meetings with both Albanians and Serbs in the same meeting. And that's where we really started to make some, some headway. Now, Wow. I, I am a history major. I understand you're not changing that 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 culture overnight. Generally, it takes about forty or fifty years to change that that hatred, and that it's really what it was was hatred. And you know, and you guys kind of went through it with the Northern Ireland Ireland thing, and and, IRA. and yeah, and it's much better now. I mean, in fact, I was in Ireland right before the pandemic. Um, in 2019, I was there for 10 days with my wife and, and some friends from the UK. And, uh, and it, it's certainly not perfect yet, but, or not completely solved, but, but it certainly is better than it has been in years. And that, but it just takes years, and it takes years of people trying to, trying to fix the problems that are going on in there and try to make it as fair as possible for everybody. And that's really what it's all about, right? I mean, in the UK, in the US, in a lot of the Western countries, Everybody has the same opportunities, the same chances. Unfortunately, that's not the case in some places. And that's what that's what leads to that hatred of of the other side, whoever that is. Yeah, no, I mean, it's understandable because, you know, really everybody cares about their families. They care about their communities and they don't want to see meals coming where their next paychecks come. I mean, mm -hmm. we're all human. We're all people. Exactly, exactly. So where there is perceived injustice and when, when it's kind of systemic, 
then you can understand people's, you know, feeling a certain way, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. And then that's what, as leaders, you got to try to fix. And mm. that was, I spent most of my time, my nine months in Kosovo, I spent almost every day outside the wire talking to, to groups of people and trying to get them to understand where they had to go forward if they wanted a better life. Not, and probably not for them, but for their kids and their mm -hmm. kids. Again, you got to keep that long view about the future generations because that's our legacy is the next yeah. generation. And not only the next generation, but the generation that they're going to produce mm -hmm. after them. And that's really what the legacy is all about. That's yeah. why it really makes me feel good when I get people that I commissioned and I've mentored throughout, you know, throughout the years. In fact, I just had lunch last month with a young lady who's now on the lieutenant colonel's list in the United States Army. And I commissioned her back in 2007, and which made me feel kind of old. But that she wanted, she actually wanted to have lunch with me. Just made me feel good because it means I did something right. You know, I, I've been a mentor to her and, and helped her along the way. And, and she want, she still, still cares. Which is amazing, really, because I, I mean, I often think about this. What's left? What's left when we go? Well, we can't take our possessions with us. They just, we can't do that. But the impact that we have on other people lives on. It does. Uh, possessions, they just move, don't they? They move from person to person or whatever. But it's the one thing that is truly unique about all of us is the impact that we can make upon other people. And that's that that is so much what this is all about, really, isn't it? Yeah, that's huge. I mean, it, and I tell people that all the time that that it's it your legacy is the next generation, not what you do. No, nobody cares what you do, really. What what the generate your your legacy is making sure that the next generation will do what you're doing better. And, mm -hmm. and that's our job as leaders is to be that mentor and coach. And I always tell people, look, if you tell me you're a leader and you're and I ask you who you're mentoring and you tell me nobody, I, I tell you, you're not a leader. You're a boss because leaders produce more leaders. And that is your job is to produce that next generation of leaders that is going to take your place and do a better job than you did. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So. What advice would you give to a small business owner? Because those are my audience. There's a lot of people who are listening in who they have a relatively small business. They may even be in a business of one or just to have some small team and so on. What would you say to them about personal leadership? Because when we don't have a boss to report to or we're not reporting into any leader ourselves, how can we become the most effective leader, not just of our very tiny organization, if that's if that's what it is, but also ourselves? Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of things. If, if you're just by yourself, if you're an individual, I think leadership comes down to a couple of things. Number one, it comes down to integrity. You got to you got to have integrity. And my father used to tell me, son, nobody can ever take integrity away from you. You have to give it away. So protect your integrity 100%. Number two, it's about self-discipline. You know, and we'd all like to believe that we're all motivated every day, but none of us are, right? I mean, you know, there's days when you're just not motivated. If you have self-discipline, then that will make you do the things that you're supposed to do that you would have done if you were motivated, but you're not. The self-discipline kicks in to make that happen. 
and you can develop self-discipline. I mean, it's, it's not something you're born with. You develop it. And then the third thing that I always tell people is that you got to learn how to communicate and communicate well to, to your outside audience and to the people who work for you and with you because communication is huge. Every once in a while, I'll get somebody who say, says, Oak, you know, we're having some problems in my company. Can you come take a look for a day or two? And I, and I do. And one of the things I figure out right away is that communication is horrible and you can't run an organization if you can't communicate. You can't. I, I mean, I'm very, very passionate about the topic of connection and communication. Oh, it's number I one. I am too. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and it surprises me often how many people ha actually have quite poor communication skills and maybe they just haven't been developed. But it also comes from, you, you know, you do have to work at it. And Absolutely. yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not. And I think there's a misconception amongst a lot of people that communication is something that comes naturally to everybody. It's just not true. No, it is not. Even even people who are people people like we are, yeah, still have to learn the right ways to communicate and and the and and the importance of all of the facets of communication. That, whether that's verbal, nonverbal, written, and when I say written, I mean memos, emails, text messages, and probably the most important of all of those, listening. That is the probably the hardest thing that we have to teach ourselves as leaders is the importance of listening. True, because we're all driven by our egos. So we love the sound of our own voices. We love the sound of our own names, all of those things. And when we really have to focus on other people, it can be a stretch. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you, it, my wife really taught me the importance or re-emphasized the importance of listening. You know, she was in the Army for eight years as an Army nurse. I, I've spent 23 years in the Army. We are never late for anything, okay? We are always early, and we always leave a little bit early. But I was noticing we were leaving 10, 15 minutes earlier than we normally would. And I, I said, why are we leaving so early? And she said, in case I live in a condo, and she said, in case we meet somebody in the elevator or in the lobby and they really need to talk to us, we need to stop and listen to them. And I thought, I thought exactly. I mean, because if that, that may be exactly what they need that day is just somebody to listen to what they got, to, you know, their problem or their their rant or whatever it is. And wh what more important thing is there than to help other people? Yeah, that's that's so thoughtful and kind. That's really, really nice. And has that happened to you a few times? That you yeah, have it, has. it has. I mean, we'd go down, you know, and 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 that way. You don't have to rush them through. You know, you, you still have to be somewhere, and, but you give them their 10, 15 minutes. And then you say, OK, I, I got to go. But at least you've given them as much time as you can give them. And, and, you've, and you've allowed for that to happen. And, and that has happened to us. It just happened the other day. Oh, that's so nice. So, Oakland, what is uh, planned for you for this year? Where, as we record this, we're at the beginning of 2023. Yeah. So most people, they do a bit of reflection and consolidation over the Christmas period. And then they're like, they want to hit, you know, hit the ground running in January and, and roll something out. So what are your plans for this year? Yeah, so to continue my speaking, I'm going to talk to a thousand first responders in Texas the next weekend and I'll be in Oregon, 
talking to all the fire chiefs in the state of Oregon, all the chiefs of the fire departments there. And and then I've got a couple other speaking engagements set up, but but I, I just put in my retirement paper from paperwork for my recruiting job that I do now, my day job. Yeah. And once that happens in, in probably the end of J- July, beginning of August, then I want to write my second book. Amazing. And, and I want to write it, what, The Secrets to Success. That's kind of my, my concept. And talk about goal setting and how to set goals and accomplish goals and how to develop that comp- self-confidence and self-discipline and develop good habits because we're all creatures of habits. And we can decide what habits we want and which ones we don't. And so I, I want to write that second book that that I haven't had time to do yet. Yeah, and that thing about habits obviously is very timely conversation because this is the start of a new year and people tend to make new year resolutions which revolve around either taking up new habits or eradicating bad habits and so on. So any before we we wrap up, any tips on that? Because a lot of people are kind of controlled by habits that are not particularly good for them, aren't they? They don't really know what to do about it. Yeah. So I think, number one, you have to realize that it is a habit. And we all creatures of habit. And I always tell people, if you don't believe that, remember how you put your shoes on today. Because you'll put your shoes on the exact same way every day. And habits are a good thing. We we need habits. It, It allows our minds to concentrate on things that are important, not on trivial things that that we can do mindlessly. That's why habits are good for us. You have to figure out which are your bad habits and figure out how to improve those. And you can. It takes time. I mean, you know, I, I read somewhere that it takes 21 days to break a habit or to start a new habit, that it takes that long for your mind to actually say, okay, that's the habit that that he always does. So we're always going to do it that way. But then also figure out what good habits you have and reinforce them. Maybe you can even make them better. But but it's a conscious decision. You have to actually stop and think, what are my habits? What would I want my habits to be? What would I like to be a habit that is going to help me? Because, you know, in the end, it's all about decisions and consequences. Mm. And, And my father used to tell me, son, Life is about decisions and consequences. Every decision you make has a consequence, good or bad. Yeah. And you got to get to the point in your life where you're making decisions that give you good consequences. Mm. Until you get to that point in your life, life's going to be pretty tough for you. And he said, I'm going to give you a a way to think about it. He said, every time you start to make a decision, think through this in your mind. Would you want your mother to know that you're about to do what you're about to do? He said, if the answer is yes, then it's probably a good decision. If the answer is bad, you probably don't need to do that. And you can use that same concept. Just think consciously, would somebody else, whoever you want, would I want them to know that I, this is my habit? This is what I'm about to do. And if, if the answer is no, then you need to make a conscious decision to, to fix it. Yeah, because, you know, we need to feel good about ourselves. If you've got a bad habit that you wouldn't want somebody else to know about, then it's going to end up making you feel bad about yourself, isn't it? I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, we definitely must reconvene and have another podcast interview after you've published your book, because this (laughs) is a topic, another topic that I'm really, really interested in. Yeah, I'd love to, Jane. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, Oakland, if people wanted to contact you, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So I'm on 
pretty much all the social media. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. But I also have a website, www.ltcoakmacullough.com. And on there, it has my, my email. It has my cell phone number. We can hop on a Zoom. I, I was just on a Zoom with a young lady in Dubai this morning who read my book and wanted to talk about it. Always happy to do those kinds of things. And Zoom is an amazing tool. I mean, technology is a double-edged sword, but it is pretty amazing that we can be sitting here and talking. And you're in London, which, by the way, is one of my favorite cities in the world. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm here in Daytona Beach, Florida. And we're talking just like we're sitting in the same room. So I'm happy to connect with anybody on any of those social media or on my website, email, Zoom, whatever you guys want to do. Okay. Well, Oakland, I just wanted to thank you for joining us today. It has been such a fascinating discussion. And is your book on Amazon? It is. And it's available as a hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audible. And I, I, the only other voice I read it, I read the, the book for Audible. The only other voice on there is my wife's. She read the forward, which she wrote, and she read about the author. All the rest of it I read. Yeah, I, I actually read my own book on Audible as well. It's a bit of a feat. It is. I think, yeah, it really is because you have to do it in a certain way. But, it, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just much more authentic when you do it yourself. And it much is, more absolutely. Fun, you know, because you know where to put the emphasis and so on. Okay, well, that's great. So if anybody wants to buy buy your book, remind us of the title again. Yes, it's Your Leadership Legacy, Becoming the Leader You Were Meant to Be. Okay, so fantastic. Well, thank you again, Oakland. Been a wonderful interview. I wish you every success with your speaking gigs to all those first responders. Sounds absolutely amazing and look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Well, thank you, Jane. I appreciate it. Bye for now. listening in if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to rate and review my podcast as it will help me bring the power of connection to the world i work one-to-one to help entrepreneurs ignite the power of authentic connection in their businesses and lives i also help them accelerate their results through attracting and converting more of their ideal clients and if this is something you'd like to do too why not head on over to www.idealclientsuccess.com slash masterclass and I'll show you how.